Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and with me today is Brenna Lowry, Head of Marketing at Doist. And we're going to be talking about the reality of word of mouth marketing and a little bit of context for you, Brenna. So whenever we have guests on our podcast, I kind of always let our team know in the background what's going on, who's going to be on the podcast. And and Brenna in front of you might see some show notes from Nay Jackson, our Head of Measurement and Insight. Oh, okay. And so we have Todoist fans in our team, but Nay <laughs> okay, Jackson is more than a fan. So Nay Jackson is an advocate. So I, I knew that Nay was a Nay's an advocate for Todoist. She's used it for a long time. And I was saying to Nay, look, I'm going to be speaking to Brenna. Is there anything that you want me to ask? Yeah. And a reaction. And for our listeners, Nay's reaction was, oh my God. <laughs> Firstly, and Nay's first question was, do they need help from an agency? Oh, <laughs> nice one, Nay. Um, can I get their autograph? Bit of a weird request, but yeah, I'm sure that, we can, that can be fair. Can I meet them? Uh, maybe one day that will work out. And uh, Nay says, the last two are jokes, but I'm having a bit of a fangirl moment. I love to do it. So I had to share that and get that in there for Nay because uh, That's great. She, she really does beat the Todoist drum. It's an advocate for you and our team. That's and awesome. it's funny That's because... A- Perfect segue to talk about word of mouth marketing. Wow. Actually, yeah, I didn't really think about that, but it's the perfect transition into the topic that we're going to be talking about today. So as I mentioned in the intro there, you are the head of marketing at Doist and you've been there throughout Doist's journey. Notably for our podcast listeners, a lot of our podcast listeners will probably be familiar with Todoist mm-hmm. and your more recent product now, which is Twist. And do you want to give yourself a bit of an introduction for our listeners so they can understand more about you and what you do on the day-to-day at Doist? Sure. Yeah. So thank you, Scott, so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk about marketing today. Um, so like you mentioned, I am the head of marketing at Doist. We are a software development company. We're fully remote, always have been, always will be. And our two products that we have developed, the first is Todoist, uh, which is a pretty popular productivity app for individuals and groups of people, small businesses. Um, We have about 25 million users these days of Todoist all around the world. And then in 2007, we created a new team communication software called Twist. And that 
tries to cater mostly to remote teens like us who have to work across a lot of time zones and therefore have to rely more on asynchronous communication. And then you touched on one key metric there, which was 25 million global users. And it's funny, again, when I'm researching product, I know about Todoist anyway, I've been familiar with your product for a long time, but I still wasn't really aware of the number of users. And that blew my mind when I saw the 25 million. <laughs> but what blew my mind even more is when you look at, can, you're doing your research and you, I'm looking at how many users does this product have? And back in 2015 or 16, I came across articles that was estimating, you know, 5 million users, 7 million users. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's 2021 and I see the 25 million figures. And, uh, and I'm thinking, what witchcraft is going on over at Doist? What are you doing to increase by that amount in that amount of time? So if you maybe, that's a good starting point just to talk that journey, I imagine has been an interesting one, a fun one, a difficult one, but you've been yeah. there through it for out. So I know that you cover quite a broad role at Doist, including HR, remote working, website copy, and we'll probably talk about all of those throughout. But in your own words, do you want to describe maybe some your journey so far and any pivotal sure. moments there have been? Yeah. So I started out working with Amir, the founder of Doist, back in 2012. Um, I had met Amir in 2010 or 2011. We were both living in Santiago, Chile at the time. And I had uh, sort of a small PR agency for tech startups, like in the Latin American tech scene. Um, and Amir was actually one of my clients at the time. Um, and they were gearing up. I think there were only four or five other people on the team at the time, and they were gearing up to launch to do its first mobile apps, which those launched in, I think it was November of 2012. Uh, it, it feels funny to think about that because it was just, we, it, you know, looking back, it feels like we didn't really know what we were doing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm having this flashback of like writing a, a press release and, you know, things have changed pretty drastically <laughs> in the last uh, eight or nine years. But yeah, so I, I started out working on a freelance basis with Amir and Alan, who is the COO of Doist today. He was also living in Santiago at the time. And, you know, Todoist started growing a lot uh, very organically once we launched the mobile apps for iOS and Android. And I just started taking it on more and more work and responsibilities with the team and ultimately became like a legit full-time employee in 2014 um, and have been building the marketing team ever since. But, you know, we were a really small team for quite a long time. Up until about 2015, we were still around like 30, 35 people. Today, we're just approaching the 100 mark. But, you know, so we were a very small team for, for a long time. So like you mentioned, I had to wear a lot of <laughs> different hats along the way. Um, I was, yeah, kind of an HR role at one point, writing the blog, doing the social media, writing the app copy, like doing PR, um, a little bit of everything. So yeah, it has been a very interesting journey. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and is, is your role still as broad today? No, no, no. So now, um, yeah, we have expanded the team. So we have, you know, we have an actual HR department, department now. Um, and we have, um, like a larger marketing team. We, I have six direct reports, for example. I have two people working on content, one social media manager, two people in product marketing, and one person who works on growth and product growth. So yeah, we, we're, we've kind of consolidated things and specialized 
roles a lot more <laughs> past few years. Mm. And we'll talk about this in a moment, but I've got a note in front of me that says kind of when you first started out in those early years, you're around five employees. Yeah. And then over time, that's grown to about 88 employees in over 30 countries. And the mm. other key part of that, which I think you touched on at the beginning, is that you're remote first. So you're a fully remote team, which is yeah. even the more impressive. And I'm sure we'll get into that as well. Even though you have a marketing team and people to work with and take on that responsibility for the size of the user base the team still doesn't seem that yeah. big so <laughs> i mean you broke it down there but can you remind me how many people do you have in your marketing team at this moment yeah and um so we have two people who work on content marketing one person who oversees social and community we have two product marketers and one sort of growth marketer slash product growth person. And mind you, this isn't just for Todoist. Uh, we oversee uh, three brands and two products. So yeah, we are pretty nimble. <laughs> <laughs> and I am interested to know, but sometimes when you're starting out in a role in a startup, you're wearing different hats, it's exciting, you're learning a lot on the job. And then when you're when that user base increases, when you've got the, the opportunity to bring in a team, yeah. You're kind of, you've got to find your own way of working again. You've got to yeah. find your vision. And I'm curious to know what, what are the pros and cons of that journey that you've been through personally? So do you ever miss those days of wearing all those different hats? Yeah. Uh, do you ever look back fondly on it? And where are you at today? Well, I, I love this question, Scott, honestly, because we talk about this a lot um, on our team, this concept of giving away your Legos. Um, I'm not sure how familiar people are with this, but I've had to give away a lot of my Legos along the journey. And some have been easier than others to give away. That's mm. for sure. But um, I have struggled in the past with that. There was... Um, I particularly enjoyed the product marketing work, especially because that's a role where you get to interact with a lot of different people in the company, the the software engineers, the help team, the marketing team. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed doing that work. And when I finally gave away that Lego, it, it was hard for me. Like it took me a, a quite a long time to do that. But also once I did, I just, I saw this area just totally take off. And I realized that I had been, you know, myself holding, holding that, um, that marketing work back because I was kind of hoarding this Lego and I should have given it away beforehand. But, um, yeah, it's really great. I think because on one hand, like I do have a lot of real first hand experience in most of the areas that my team members work in. So like you mentioned, and we've discussed, our team is really small. And so I still do quite a bit of individual contributor work myself. And we have a pretty great dynamic on the team where if, you know, somebody needs help, or, you know, I need to step in at some point, I'm not like totally fumbling around in the dark usually. But I think having that like wider range of context and experience has been really helpful for me personally. I really like that idea of either giving away your Lego or not giving away your Lego, depending on how you look at it. The way I'm visualizing it as you're talking is that you have all of this Lego and it's fun. You might, you know what you can create out of that Lego, but you never know if you give that to another person and come back in six months time, what they've created out of it. You know, you might have, you might have created the DeLorean and they've created a T-Rex and it's funny, you, yeah. know, you just never know what you're going to get back. <laughs> and that's the exciting part about giving away your Lego, I think. Exactly. And I'm interested in this, the word of mouth part. So you've grown in this time you've grown with a small team 
And one of the key things that stood out to me that I've seen through my research and in preparation for the podcast is that this is the first year. And I don't know if that is 2021 or 2020, but you've run any paid advertising, which means that (laughs) everything that you've done, I assume, has been in-house i don't and maybe you can speak on this a bit i'm not too sure if that includes any agencies that have supported you with that so i'm interested to know i appreciate this a really this is going to be a really broad question and one we might have to break down a bit but along that journey so far are there any pivotal strategies any particular tactics that stand out or any particular turning points or moments that you think have been the major contributors to such exponential growth yeah, sure. Um, we've had a lot along the way. You know, Todoist has been on the market uh, for about 10 years now. Um, and one thing I haven't mentioned yet is that we are also a very untraditional company in that we have never raised any VC funds. So we have been profitable since day one, since Amir started working on this, like in his college dorm room back in 2007. <laughs> um, so we have had to really utilize our resources uh, the best we can because we don't have people like throwing money at us. <laughs> um, our, our, our wallet is not unlimited. So word of mouth has been huge for us mm-hmm. along the way. And one example that I think is really um, a, a, just a picture perfect example of how to do this has worked and grown over the years is this concept of crossing the chasm. Um, it's a really wonderful book. Um, if, if you're readers, I'm not sure how many people have read it, but basically Todoist started out as, you know, like a very niche app. This was still 2009, 2010. Like not everybody had mobile phones. It just wasn't as ubiquitous to have these digital tools like at your fingertips all day. So I think a huge influential factor in that was Amir's personal um, development blog. Like he was very active. Uh, he was a very active blogger. And I think just even this like such small niche of people <laughs> who were always reading his blog and learning about Todoist and learning about the technologies that he was coding in, that I think was like the, this little ember <laughs> of yeah. fire that um, just grew and grew and grew. And, you know, Todoist has gone from like being small and tiny and like very technical to being like very mainstream at this point. And word of mouth has definitely played a a huge role in that because like we haven't had money to throw into (laughs) uh, Google ads or or Facebook ads or things like that. And we, we don't have a sales team. So I think there's like thinking about the pivotal moments, you know, Mm -hmm. launching the mobile apps back in 2012 was a big deal. And then we just kind of went on like a steady stream of product improvements and product launches. Like we've always been product led company. So um, Mm -hmm. along the way, um, I was tasked personally with doing a lot of PR every time we had a, a product update. So I think that played a huge role as well. A lot of journalists used Todoist. And for that, like was really instrumental for us because a lot of journalists then have been like really keen to publish our, our updates. And that has, I think, helped our growth a lot as well. There's a few questions that come to mind there. So I guess the first and, and actually more, more so statements or insights that I've pulled there than questions. But the first seems to be that from Amir's early days, it's that core customer base 
you, you build the loyalty in the into the product. You build the advocacy into the product from that initial user base. So in a way, Todoist owes a lot to those initial users and that loyal kind of right. group of fans from the beginning. That's one thing that stands out to me. And we might even come on to talk to this in a moment. But the other thing that stands out to me is it's very much a if you have a great product and you focus on the product first mentality, then the marketing falls into place a lot easier because you're probably enthusiastic and happy and you you know you have something of worth to go and speak to journalists about. Right. Yeah. So one of our first, um, this was before I started working with Amir, but I remember, I think it was in 2010. It feels like it's so long ago. I guess it is. But um, there was a TechCrunch article that came out about Todoist was like the first to-do list app, I believe, that was running on HTML5. Right. Um, <laughs> and that kind of like started, uh, this tiny little snowball also. And from there, like we just started gaining like these, um, you know, users that are more and more technical savvy. And this was at a time when technology was becoming a much bigger part of our lives. And part of that, I think like, you know, Amir has a background as a, as a software developer himself. So I, I feel like he, you know, anticipated a lot of these features that this like this demographic of users would really appreciate. For example, like we are one of the uh, the first to do list app that came out with natural language processing. So that means like you can just type in to to do us like gather invoices every third Thursday from April first to November fifth, and it will parse that all out for you and create the task. So it's it's very powerful. And then I think another thing that led to our growth also was being available on so many different platforms. At the time, we had a lot of competitors who were just you know had uh, a web app, for example, or just were available on the Apple ecosystem. Whereas we always operated under the mentality that like people need to add tasks wherever they are. So we were really mindful about creating apps and extensions for like all the different platforms for people to use. So what I'm interested in part of this <laughs> discussion though, in terms of pivotal moments is I know that you, you think strongly about writing your own playbook that's come up in research and I'm keen to know what that means to you and your advice for other marketers and other people that you think are in similar positions. Yeah, sure. So we as a company and just, I think as doisters in general, like we hire for people like we we hire people who you know are very critical thinkers because we have to operate under first principles like i think we are definitely writing our own playbook like i mentioned we're a completely remote team we always have been we've never raised any vc funds so this puts us in a very small <laughs> category of companies that just doesn't have a lot of like powerful industry leaders i think to to follow and one mentality that I've always appreciated about our product team is that like nobody ever really cared about our competitors, um, <laughs> which is kind of uh, probably sounds crazy, but you know, cause people, I think marketers spend so much time, um, obsessing over like, what is, what is my, like the, what is on the specific copy of like all of their landing page or like, you know, you can really go down so many rabbit holes comparing yourself to our or yourself to your competitors and that's just something that we never did uh, we were never really interested in at all and at the time there were 
so many to-do list competitors on the market and they've kind of been like dropping off (laughs) along the way, which I think has contributed to our growth in the last few years. But we've always just operated, I think, a lot on our on our gut feelings. And mm-hmm. uh, some of that has worked out for us well, and other times it hasn't worked out so well. But we'd never focused on our com- competitors or what new features they were doing or you know how they were marketing their product. We always just kind of kept our heads down and, and did what we thought was right. And part of that, I think, is putting empathy at the center of all of our marketing People download a to-do list app usually usually because they have some big event that's happening in their life. They're getting married, maybe having a kid, starting a new job, a new semester at school. So really like putting yourself in the shoes of your user, I think is so much more effective than paying attention to your competitors. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Mm, I love that message, by the way. And I haven't spoken about that so much on this podcast, but that is one thing that I I feel strongly about too. And I also think yeah. it's just, I kind of get frustrated with it a little bit, but at the same time, I can let it go. Is it just, I, I hate to see marketers waste time on what competitors are doing. Ultimately, it often is useless. So um, while I think that it can be helpful to I think it can be helpful to be inspired by competitors. That's never a bad thing, I don't think. I think that's quite healthy. And I think to to give credit to competitors or people that are in your industry that are doing amazing things, like I think that can be that's a really healthy place to get to. But to worry about competitors and what they're doing, I think like you said, you've got to to focus on yourself and to grow your company, that's something that you've got to let go. And one thing that's a a kind of culture related question that comes to mind is that despite everything that I've just said and everything that you've just said, you talked a lot there about going with your gut feeling, experimentation, which is ultimately I think that's a dream for marketers to hear. That sounds like a great culture, but that also can only really happen with the right leadership and the right hiring. 
So I'm, I'm really interested to know, it sounds like the, uh, another pivotal aspect of this growth early on was your relationship with Amir and maybe other members of the, the early team. So have you all grown together? Is there anything that you can pinpoint to? Anything that you do practically? Things that come to mind for me, are there any principles or values that you have a team that you started to share early on? Is there any interesting way in which you share feedback with each other? Anything that stands out to you? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And, you know, for us, leadership has been so important. Um, Amir is a founder. He is like, and and I asked him this in our last one-on-one, like, how do you make time? You know, you have two kids, you have a, you play soccer on the side, like you run this company, you do development, and yet you still find so much time for learning. Like, how do you even manage to do all of this? Um, so one thing I have always really looked up to Amir for is like his thirst for knowledge and just like never, never stop learning. And this has become one of our company's core values, uh, which is uh, called mastery. Like you care really deeply about what you're doing. You're continuously learning and pushing yourself to the limits um, of your own abilities. Um, so that has always been really embedded in our culture. And it's definitely something that we hire for. Just because as a small team, like you can't just sit on your laurels and be like, um, you know, I, I don't have one person on the team that is like only overseeing Google ads, for example, like these giant companies that have giant marketing teams, like uh, people have to be able to do like a pretty wide breadth of tasks and they have to have a pretty wide breadth of skills. So learning is, is a huge part of that and something that we have always invested in as well as a company. For example, everybody at Doist is allotted one month per year to work on a personal project, which is really cool. Some of the Projects that have come out of this initiative have been uh, really great, and some of them have, you know, been added to the products themselves and um, have had a pretty big impact on our apps. So it's something that we're always optimizing for and pushing people. And we have, you know, channels in our twist, for example, like learning and inspiration where we share interesting articles and podcasts, uh, videos and things like that. So it's it's really a, a very, very deep part of our company culture. That's really inspiring to hear. It's put a smile on my face. And that's the kind of a culture that you imagine. And I think sometimes, again, what Todoist in particular. I don't know so much about Twist personally, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. But from Todoist, from the from your marketing, you would think that the culture that you've just described is what happens behind the scenes. And it's always nice to know when that expectation matches the reality. So thanks for sharing some of those insights there. You talked or noted Google Ads as you were speaking there. And going back to my earlier question, um, I talked about that you hadn't spent money on paid advertising for a long time and everything that you've just described explains why you've not needed to, which is amazing. But I am curious about why now is the time that Doist have started to invest in paid advertising, if you could maybe elaborate on that. Yeah, that, I mean, it's a great segue because speaking of learning, like last year in 2000, yeah, 2000, end of, 19, end of 2019, uh, throughout kind of like the first half of 2020, I personally felt slightly disadvantage because I didn't, I am like a, a head of marketing, uh, you know, at this company and I have no experience doing performance marketing at all. So 
I felt like I needed to learn about this and um, I had the the support and bandwidth to take it upon myself to figure it out. <laughs> so I was really curious, like learning just how this works and like the basics, you know, how, how do you set up a campaign? Like, what do you optimize for? How do we connect the dots between our products? And so I sort of t- took on this small project of just iterating on on some Google ads and spent more and more time on that and uh, kind of discovered that it was actually a profitable acquisition channel for us. <laughs> uh, it was kind of happenstance, I suppose. So, and, and it turns out we, around that time where I was like, you know, doing the math and figuring out like this could be a viable acquisition channel for us, we hired a new person on our business development team who coincidentally like had a ton of experience in performance marketing. And, and he is now quote unquote taking this project over the finish line and really investing a lot into this and, you know, putting his expertise at work. And now we're ramping up a lot of, more spending in in 2021 and uh yeah I'm interested to see how this will work out like we have never paid any attention to paid advertising so it it, it was fun to learn about but I'm really glad that there's somebody on the team now who can uh really sink their teeth into it Hmm. There's something interesting about what you're saying, and do correct me if I'm wrong or break, making some wrong assumptions here, but um, I'm kind of building a narrative because you talked about the culture of experimentation from the beginning, going with your gut feeling, this instinctiveness, this that kind of approach to marketing. And I guess it would be easy when you've got when you're in the position you're in as Todoist in particular, and you have that big user base to think, right, now's the time to launch into paid advertising or performance marketing. Maybe we should outsource that to an agency. But instead, you've actually, in the spirit of your culture, in the spirit of your values, that's something you've taken on yourself and you've grown in-house. I'm interested to know whether that was a conscious decision or have I described something accurate there? And it's the, it's the spirit of the culture that led to your decision as opposed to anything else. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm. It's, um, we, as another aside, we externalize like very little, um, mm. a lot of, we do pretty much everything in house. We're very honestly, like quite protective of our brand. You know, it's, it's very important to us that things are are done meticulously and properly and our our brand is our baby basically so um yeah it's it's hard to give away those legos to an external agency like i think we just work with we work with a pr agency and we work with a wordpress agency that manages the technology of our blog and, and that's it but like what you were saying is one trend that i have noticed at doist is like People will start, you know, have this curiosity and start learning about something and kind of like get it off the ground. And then once it gets to a point when we figure out like, oh, this is actually working out really well, somebody else will sort of take it over. Um, Somebody else that might have more experience or we might even hire somebody else. For example, like we we have done videos in-house forever, basically. Um, And now this year, we're planning to hire a video producer um, just because we get to a point where we just don't have the bandwidth to do it anymore. And... You know, people on the team, on the marketing team, on the design team have had the chance to experiment and learn about this. But to really do that well, 
you have to dedicate more resources to that. So it, it's an interesting sort of like phenomenon. I think we have at Duis, but I, I find it super valuable because it gives people the chance to 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 learn new skills and to experiment and find what works and find what doesn't, and then invest in what is working. Hmm. There's one thing that stands out that I'd assume as well. And again, do correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're going through that process of your learning, let's say that you're, let's say, for example, video, the video production side of things. So you're producing videos in-house, you're all experimenting, and it gets to a point where you think, hey, we're doing this regularly now. Maybe we need to actually hire in-house for this thing. Well, at that point, you've got a much better understanding of the type of person that you need to hire for because you're also aware of what you've been doing, what that job role needs to be, and also of the skills and limitations that you have within your existing team. So it makes it much easier to know what to hire for, I'd assume. Yeah, it took me about like 10 minutes to 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 write this video <laughs> producer um, job description. I think that's a great point. Um, and it also, I think it helps the onboarding of the person if you choose to hire mm. somebody like you know you're pretty you you and your team are probably pretty entrenched in doing this and you know the this will help kind of tether this new hire to the ground and i think it will help them get up to speed a lot faster and you know hit the ground running on the tasks that they need to do so it's one thing to build this culture and uh, we've discussed for any business like that's an amazing achievement but to do it remote first is something <laughs> that blows my mind because and I think it blows my mind because the assumption here particularly for creative environments particularly for product-based environments is you have this vision of people working together physically together post-it notes on whiteboards or whatever <laughs> it is you know you have that kind of vision when you think about this and I read regularly and I've actually struggled with it myself this aspect particularly over this last year or so as we're all working from home and we're not in the same office anymore of how to encourage a culture of creativity through remote working and I just I'm interested to know how have you created that culture remotely? So is there anything that you can point to specifically that you do to help create that remote culture? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. Yeah. And we have never, honestly, have, and we've never had the luxury of, you know, all sitting in the same office mm. together. But like we talked about before, you know, learning and curiosity and mastery are such an important part of our culture that like the the people that we hire just tend to be very curious and driven people themselves. Mm. So I think that plays a, a big role, like just from the baseline of things. Um, you know, if that's something that you intentionally hire for, then that's a culture that you're going to be able to develop a lot easier. Um, but I think another important aspect of fostering creativity remotely is is having like a very transparent company culture as well. And like, you know, having this sort of the best idea wins mentality. Like uh, we use Twist, right? To, to do all of our team communication. All of our channels are open. Basically, I think there's like, you know, 10 of 250 that are are private. But that means that anybody can go in and like look at conversations that are, are happening and can jump in to the discussion and share their viewpoint or share an idea. So we really try and like not limit people in terms of the information that they have access to. And I think this really allows people to 
have a great grasp on what's going on and what's going to happen in the future and, and how they can play a role in that. And also knowing that like their voice, they're never going to be shot down. You know, everybody has the same exact footing um, as like the, the CXO teams to everybody else on the team. Um, and this is something that we have tried really hard to, to maintain as we've grown as a company. And I think it has contributed to our creativity and the way we develop products. Like anybody can, can share an idea or start a new project. And that has been super yeah, beneficial for us. Well, that's an interesting transition into Twist, which is, I'm interested to know the origin story of Twist and yeah. how that came about within your business. So it sounds like from what you're saying that Twist started out as kind of an internal project of some sort and kind of grew bigger. Is that the case? How did it start out? Yeah. So we, as I mentioned earlier in our discussion, I think it was around 2015 or so, we were about 30 different people on the team. Yep. And at that point, we were actually using a different app that Amir had developed called Weedoist, <laughs> which no longer <laughs> exists. But we just got to a point where we were growing and looking at other tools on the market. And that's when we discovered this like small app called Slack. <laughs> That was just, uh, it was pretty brand new and we ported everybody onto Slack and it was really fun at first because it gave us like a new sense of closeness. And this was also just right around the time that we had our very first in-person company retreat. Um, so these two like <laughs> forces of in-person, like everybody meeting each other for the first time and then like a more open and inviting communication channel. I think really helped our culture flourish. But at the same time, um, <laughs> things started to like the honeymoon, the honeymoon with Slack did not last long for us because we've always spanned so many different time zones. And me particularly, I'm in Seattle in the Pacific time zone and many of my coworkers are in Europe. So like <laughs> I would wake up to just this barrage of incoherent conversations and messages and GIFs and God knows what else <laughs> and trying to like decipher through and, you know, decisions are already being made and I'm still asleep. And, um, we realized pretty quickly that that was not going to help us build the culture that we wanted to build. Um, we have always had a very strong mentality of work-life balance and not being connected all the time. Um, like we are very mindful about developing our apps for focus instead of engagement, like we don't want people spending a lot of time in <laughs> Twist or Todoist. Um, so this was like very detrimental to our, our company culture. And from there, we, we just decided to create our own app based on our own needs. And we figured like, you know, we're, we're ahead of the curve in terms of remote work, but hopefully it will catch on and other teams will see the value in this tool as well. And and that's how Twist was born. And and one day to the next, we cut off Slack, cold turkey, and and haven't looked back since. <laughs> Amazing! I love that uh, story. And and again, it speaks true to the culture of experimentation that you were talking about earlier. I'm going to go back to close out this podcast, back to Todoist. Okay. I just I thought that story about Twist was going to be interesting for our listeners. Yeah. And. Um, and with Todoist, I know we talked about the user base of 25 million and just how it's hard to kind of get your mind around those figures. 
And I was interested in a couple of areas when you're dealing with that number of users. The first that I'm interested to know is when you have that, we talk about it in marketing in terms of retention, but I'm particularly interested to know surprising and delighting customers. So how do you surprise and delight customers when you have that many? What's your goal in terms of retention and keeping customers engaged? Uh, It's funny, Scott, because I feel like you have some sort of window into my brain. (laughs) This is actually um, a goal for us uh, coming into like sort of the next five years of how we can increase our word of mouth and how we can embed um, delight into our apps and into our marketing. And it's a really fun mentality to to live in, like mm. thinking of how we can make people happy. Um, and that's a lot of the work there has to be done on the product side. But in terms of marketing, some things that we're doing, like for example, ensuring that the content that we produce is very useful for people and just helps them live better lives, basically, going back to that sense of empathy that we try and embed in all of the marketing that we do. And one aspect of Todoist that we have is the, called this it's called Todoist Karma. And essentially like it gives you points for doing actions in Todoist completing tasks, using labels, reminders, and things like that. And we've always seen the power of this and people are really enthusiastic about it but we just honestly like never really had the bandwidth to dedicate much effort to making this like a an engaging or delightful system so that's something that we've been working on um like we created some swag for the first time and like are you know sending t-shirts and mugs to people who reach these higher levels of the to do as karma system so again like we are having to look for ways that are sustainable for us to do that as a small company. But yeah, delighting users at scale is one of our biggest goals for the next five years. So I guess <laughs> people have to stay tuned to see what what we can cook up. On that note, so my last question, I have a couple of questions left. One is about Todoist and one's about something uh, I think entirely differently, but we'll get to that in a moment. So my last question about Todoist and just speaking on the future, I know myself just as a, as a fan of using software and just as a geek, I'm always interested to know what the next thing is, what the next feature is. And I know you must get this question a lot, but I am curious to know, you've shared some amazing goals there as you were talking, but particularly when it comes to either marketing or either the product features and function, that's anything that our listeners and Todoist Todoist fans should be looking out for? Yeah. So we had a very active 2020. People will probably notice those are familiar with Todoist. We released a ton of new features in the app. And I think things will be kind of quiet on the Todoist front for the first half or so of this year, 2021. We are sort of doing a lot of internal backend work that will power the features that we plan to work on in the near future. Um, and we do, we are setting our sights on making Todoist easier to use for, for teams. Like <laughs> we released, uh, this Todoist business, uh, mm-hmm. plan or, you know, offering in 2015. And honestly, like haven't gone back and updated it or done anything with it. It's very much our neglected child. So we are going to be working on that this year. And it's tough, right? Because we have two products and a team of 100 people. Um, so we're also doing some really exciting things on the on the twist side as well. So 
um, I encourage people to to stay tuned to both of the the products. It kind of like seesaws, you know. Sometimes Twist will have a lot of product updates, and then Todoist, and go going back and forth like that. That's brilliant. Uh, well, thanks for sharing that insight as well. And uh, my final question before we close out today's episode is: I spotted something. I think it was on your Twitter page about the asynchronous community and or movement and i was like what is this i've never heard of this before but it looked interesting and so i'm just i'm just curious to know more um i appreciate this might be a whole other episode so if there's anything that you can (laughs) set me off on the path to understand what this is all about sure no actually i think people will have a pretty good context going into this question scott because this is actually the personal project that i did last year um i spent a month creating a a website and a community of people and companies who work asynchronously. So basically this concept of like, you know, working on your own time and like not responding to messages immediately and giving yourself enough time in the day to do deep work and focus and not be distracted. Very much like the mentality of twist as opposed to slack. (laughs) So this was my personal project that I was working on last summer. And I uh, there's a pretty big appetite for it. I was very surprised. Um, A lot of really reputable companies came on board like uh, GitLab and Buffer and Zapier. And um, I (laughs) kind of got in over my head. I just wanted to create like this sort of little thing and experiment with, you know, creating a a website from scratch in in Webflow. And it's kind of ballooning to be something (laughs) bigger than what I had expected it to be. But yeah, I'm, I'm, that one of my goals is to figure out what what to do with this community, and I'm I'm not quite sure. So, uh, yeah, we'll see about that. Well, it's interesting. I said we could probably talk about that for a long time, and I, I won't speak on this for too long. But it's so interesting because, particularly in creative industries, and I can speak to this from a marketing front, is that there are so many distractions, and. I think we all know that we do our best work when we're at our most comfortable, at our most relaxed, when we feel in control of our time. And it's very easy to not feel that way in marketing, in creative industries. So it doesn't surprise me so much that you've seen so much interest in that because I think there are a lot of people out there that struggle with that aspect of feeling like they're not in control of their own day and how that impacts their final product, whatever is whatever art it is that they're trying to give to the world, whatever product or service or it, they're, they're trying to deliver to the world, it's all impacted when you don't feel in control of your time. So I think that's really interesting. I look forward to seeing what you do with that community. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think that I think there's a need for that awareness because there are a lot of great marketers out there who can probably deliver even better work. Yeah if they had a community like that, that they were a part of, and there was a greater awareness of what that movement's all about. So thanks for, thanks for creating that. And I look yeah. forward to seeing what you do for that. We'll see. That to, to be determined. Stay tuned. Everybody. <laughs> to be determined. <laughs> <laughs> and before I let you go, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you, Doist, Todoist, Twist, and any other projects you're a part of? Sure. Yeah. Thank you again, Scott, so much for having me. Your questions were really interesting and I really enjoyed chatting about all this stuff. Um, yeah. People can find me on Twitter. I'm at Brenna, B-R-E-N-N-A. KL. Otherwise, uh, you can learn about Todoist and Twist and Doist on our website, which is Doist, D-O-I-S-T dot com. Uh, there you can find uh, you know, a bunch of our blog content about the 
you know, our, our company culture and remote work best practices, but also, you know, if you're a, a productivity fan, you love using Todoist. We have a lot of productivity content there and uh, for Twist as well. If you're interested in learning more about like this asynchronous mindset, um, yeah, you can find all that on our website. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Brenna. Best of luck <laughs> for you and the teams at Lewist. And this has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Thank you. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.